everybody. Welcome, welcome to show 63 here on Crypto Voices. Matthew Majenskis, your host here this time from Cincinnati, joined with my co-host Fernando Ulrich from Brazil. Hello, Matthew. And today we have another very interesting guest from Brazil, uh, Rodrigo Rambrisi. He is a proposal owner for a YouTube and social media marketing program, uh, which is done in Portuguese and connected with the Dash protocol. It's a uh, project and a title that he has been working on since July 2017. Uh, what this means is he is a 100% freelanced YouTuber that works on behalf of the Dash network as he is paid by their blockchain governance system. They've done a lot of interesting things in Latin America and really interested to uh, hear more about it today. So Rod, thanks a lot for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much for being here, guys. Appreciate the invitation. Yeah, really good to have you. I've watched uh, a few of your videos on YouTube. They're very interesting. Um, you know, the the work that you guys have done in Latin America with Dash is is uh, definitely something different. I think if you think about just the sort of the Western uh, community of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about today. So uh, it was great meeting you at the uh, at LaBitConf in Santiago. I know you've known uh, Fernando. Uh, for a while before that, but um, I think I want to just start it off with uh, a couple of your really interesting uh, videos. The first one you did um, that I'd like to talk about is when you went to Venezuela last year, uh, completely funded by Dash. Uh, you only spent Dash during the trip, and you uh, reported on a lot of interesting things. So um, why don't we, uh, well, actually, before we start in Venezuela, why don't we uh, maybe just back up a little bit as I mentioned in the intro, you're funded by Dash, you're paid by Dash. How does that work and uh, what got you into that? Um, yeah, um, what got me into crypto was uh, I'm an immigrant, right? Uh, I'm a foreigner. I've been living in five different countries in the recent, the past five years in the United States. And I'm always, I was always looking into a way how to send money back in, to my parents in Brazil. That's how I heard about Bitcoin and lately, uh, uh, later on, on YouTube, I don't know how I came across a video from a, a, a YouTuber called Amanda B. Johnson. Uh, she had a, a TV show called uh, da uh, Crypto, uh, The Daily Decrypt, uh, talking about crypto. And then she closed that channel and she ended up moving to a specific channel called Dash Detail, where she explained what Dash was and how she could get funded by the network about presenting a proposal. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, at the same time, I left a job that was working in a cubicle that I hated. Uh, and I contact her and say, hey, um, I speak Portuguese. I'm from Brazil. How about I do the same kind of YouTube channel that you have here for the U.S., but back in Brazil, in Portuguese? So she helped me build my, my proposal. And I present to the network. So uh, anybody can actually uh, present a proposal to the Dash Digital Cash Network requ requesting funds. Uh, in order to expose your idea, as long as it's related to Dash or increases the value of Dash. Uh, the, the network uh, votes yes or no on your proposal. Say, hey, yeah, let's go ahead and give this guy some money to make videos or to do some integration or whatever. So they decided to vote on my proposal, yes, uh, because it was kind of unique, you know, to start creating content in a very professional way uh, as a TV show, as a reporter, uh, visiting conferences. Uh, and I started doing that in Portuguese, and they approved my proposal. And ever since then, I've been getting paid by a network of computers to do my job. 
Yeah, and I think that's pretty cool. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty different. It's um, that's certainly different than what uh, what you know, for example, Bitcoin uh, does. But I uh, I, I want to maybe focus more on the details of that at the end because um, I think, as you mentioned, what they have funded you for uh, to do some marketing, specifically uh, for the Portuguese, uh, you know, for the Brazilian and and other Latino uh, uh, community, is is really interesting and, and really concrete stuff um, and and very uh, very insightful. The videos are very current that you've done on Venezuela and and Colombia. So I want to turn to those next. Uh, why don't we start with Venezuela? I mean, obviously, front and center in, in the world news, world financial news, uh, most weeks seems to get uh, worse uh, before it gets better. Let's just start it out. How, how was your experience down there in Venezuela? At the same time that I did all this in Portuguese for Brazil, someone else did in Venezuela request fundings to start organizing events and meetups from the Dash community. So I became friends with the community there as well. You know, we ended up meeting in a conference, the other LabitConf back in Colombia in 2017. And later on in June, uh, they invited me to go to Venezuela to speak in their conference, to talk about the economy of Brazil and to talk about Dash and the differences, which I, I put together uh, a whole uh, lecture based on the Brazilian history and how Brazil manipulated the currency for many years, you know, changing the name and cutting zeros and replacing uh, the entire money, uh, the entire currency every couple months, every year. And Brazil did that, I think, six or seven times in a row. So once I had my tickets to, to Venezuela and as a YouTuber, I was planning to do some sort of a video log, say, hey, everybody, you know, I'm going to go to Venezuela. I was invited by the community. Uh, I'm going to check it out. And I start just recording things before I went there. But on the second day when I was there, I was already overwhelmed by how organized the Dash community had developed uh, their, their entire ecosystem there and how many businesses were accepting Dash. So I start getting more and more footage and I put it together in the end, what I call uh, the Dash uh, Venezuela and the Cryptocurrency Revolution documentary about my experience living in U.S., with a Brazilian passport, actually, that was what made possible for me to get into Venezuela, uh, and buying my plane tickets online, paying with Dash, paying hotel, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, taxis, and visiting most of the business that accept Dash there to show people, say, hey, this is really happening. We jump from the theory of maybe we can use this magical internet money, and people are using because even though the Dash went down 80%, among with all the other cryptocurrencies in the past year and a half, but the Bolivar went down, what, 3,000%. So for the citizens of Venezuela, it is still a better deal for them to, in the end of the month, whenever they get paid, to buy cryptocurrency and hold uh, against the Bolivar, now the new currency that they have, the Bolivar Soberano. And uh, uh, the documentary took off it because it really shows the experience of using Dash on a daily basis and I show also the parts of when I'm a, a visiting merchants that accept Dash, like there's a motorcycle store, you can, you can buy a motorcycle. Uh, there's also a, a lab that you can do a whole bunch of XM uh, um, Spain with Dash. Uh, and by the time I went back home and I was editing, when I was there, it was the mark of 300 business accepting Dash in Venezuela. Uh, right? Uh, by the time I, I got home with all the footage, about 50 hours of video, and took me four weeks to finish editing the documentary. 
by the time I finished, they, they already had 600 business accepting Dash, digital cash in, in Venezuela. Did you edit all by yourself? I did. I did the editing all by myself. Wow. Congrats. Th thank you. Yeah, I, I work in TV channels and as a video producer for many years. So editing, uh, it comes quite easy. I, I use both hands and two mouses. So it's, it's, it's fun. But um, and, and, and doing so, you know, people really got to see the whole impact of a, of a cryptocurrency in a, in a country who really needs it. You know, Venezuela at this time, they're not buying Dash or just lately I saw the highest uh, amount of uh, uh, Bitcoin transactions on local Bitcoins also happening in Venezuela the past two, three weeks. They're not buying crypto because they want to invest and get rich. You know, they're buying because that's the last resource of desperation that they have in order to protect uh, uh, their small amount of money that they make, which uh, monthly salary in Venezuela is about three and a half to five dollars. Another piece of evidence that shows Dash's popularity in Venezuela is Google Trends. I was just checking this this fig this statistic, and it's it's really incredible. If you if you compare Bitcoin and Dash in Venezuela, it's it's really close. And it, theoretically, in the last week or so, Dash is even more popular than Bitcoin in Venezuela. If you compare Bitcoin with the other currencies, with other cryptos like Ethereum, Litecoin, or Zcash or Ripple. Uh, Bitcoin is winning by far, but with Dash is pretty pretty there. So it's, it amazes me actually. It's the what amazes me is the grassroots movement of Dash in Venezuela. So can can you talk a little bit more about the community and how this has been done? As I understand, not only in Venezuela but also in Colombia, perhaps in other in other places as well. Yeah, I, I think um, all this happened organically, but Dash was designed to be a payment system, system for microtransactions. At one point, Bitcoin didn't get to be popular in Venezuela during the transaction fees. You know, if you're paying two, three, five dollars for a transaction fee to send 10, 20 dollars, you know, that's someone's entire salary. And where Dash succeeds by having the master node layer and one cent transaction, one second confirmation, you know, even though there's a high volume of transactions in Venezuela, the amount of inside the transactions are very small, uh, um, but still people are moving 10, 20 cents, $1, 50 cents, $2 back and forward all the time. And I think if I'm not wrong, that re Venezuela represents about 30% of the volume of the, the Dash network. But what interesting thing is all this happened organically. There was no developer from Venezuela, from Venezuela, from Dash or, or, or the core team or the CEO in charge of the developers or marketing that say, hey, why don't you guys do this? All this happened inside the community by members that got to know Dash from YouTube or, or other videos or other programs and started using and, and got to present proposals and, and, and use in a proper way and develop a whole business uh, structure around it where uh, some proposal owners, they were employing people to speak at conferences, to organize conferences, to organize meetups. They had an incubator program for all the merchants. You know, it's not just going to the merchants and say, hey, go, this is uh, your uh, wallet, download, you can start accepting Dash. They have a whole program to teach every merchant how to balance their books in the end of the day, how to accept Dash, how to uh, uh, back up your wallets, you know. How, where you can tra uh, transfer uh, and exchange Dash back into Fiat, or maybe you can actually try to talk to your suppliers and start paying them in Dash as well. So they, they create a program to close the entire uh, circle around it, 
And, and at one point today, if I'm not wrong, I think there's about 2,900 business accepting Dash or, or close to this number uh, uh, that people can, can check it out on discoverdash.com. Let me see if it's .com or .org. But uh, we have a website that lists all the business that accept in Dash. And, and all this happened organically by a need of the community. There was no higher instructions from uh, an organization or from a, from a team. It is fascinating. And I think um, regardless of where, you, where one stands on the spectrum of future success of cryptocurrencies from Bitcoin you know, on down the line, I think if you don't support what's happening in, in Venezuela and, and Colombia and other uh, Latino countries, uh, uh, that what Dash is doing, I'm, you know, I just don't think you have a heart. Um, it's very, it's very, very interesting. One other point I wanted to ask you about, which I, you illuminated this very clearly and, and very, uh, very decisively uh, in your documentary, was the hyperinflation problems of Venezuela. Now, um, you know, in Eastern Europe, the Baltics, uh, where my family's from, we've had hyperinflation. Obviously, you, this is part of your repertoire, as I understand as well. You know, you and Fernando both have lived through hyperinflations in Brazil, you know, carrying over some of that education to uh, countries that are hyperinflating now, such as Venezuela. So one, one of the really interesting things uh, that I thought uh, you showed in the documentary was filling up, uh, filling up the gas tank at, at gas stations, like the, just the sheer volume of bills that would be given just in change was incredible. And then one other thing I wanted to ask you about this just shows sort of the level of subsidy uh, that Venezuela does, which is not a good thing, by the way. Just think, you know, bread lines. Is it is it true that actually the way that gas is priced in Venezuela is that one U.S. dollar can fill up over 200 cars for six months? Is that the case? I got ripped off on that gas station because I gave the girl one dollar. She was supposed to give me back 99 cents <laughs> plus another 100 times of a cent. I don't even know the, how to say that number in English. So <laughs> oh she gave me goodness. all the money that she had. It was a whole stack and that was about maybe $70. When I was there, $1 was 2.8 million Bolivars. One liter of gas, it's one Bolivar. So it was about 70,000 cars. You can fill it up the tank or 200 cars for six months. But a couple months later, $1 got to almost six and a half million Bolivars, which tripled this number. Uh, the gas is subsidized by gasoline subsidized by the government. Venezuela has the largest uh, um, oil reserves on the planet, according to the PDVSA or their oil company. Uh, we, we're not really sure if it's true or not, but they do have oil, a lot of oil, which puts them on a very strategic position on the map and also on the international community. So gasoline is not an issue in Venezuela. People they pay with bills. Uh, for to fill up the gas tank, they don't even ask for the change or they don't even care for the change because it's pretty cheap. And I still have that stack of money that bills, but those are no longer in circulation. Now the government, they just printed new bills, change the colors, change the names, cut the zero, and expect people to add a value in a collective way, you know, saying, hey, everybody, this is the new bill, that's the new money, and this is worth this much like magic. And we've been through this in Brazil many times. Greece has been through this uh, many times as well. And other countries, Argentina is going through the same process right now. And it's the typical example of a disorganized government that manipulates the entire economy uh, uh, with their currency. And of course, other countries around won't do business with a country like this. 
And it has nothing to do with capitalism or socialism. It's just a disorganized country in the end of the day. It really is incredible uh, to see just that stack of bills uh, that you show, the stack of boulevards, and just the devaluation that's this constant with uh, the populace there. So the follow-up that I had to that, obviously uh, Venezuela has a lot of oil. Obviously it is a completely socialized, uh, top-down, you know, starting with um, Chavez, you know, just everything is nationalized. It's a very uh, statist system, not going so well for them. But uh, it was interesting, you know, I, I saw that there were a lot of Petro billboards and advertisements all around the city. Also a few Dash advertisements. And I'm wondering, is Dash big enough yet there to pose any sort of a threat to Maduro and to the system there? I mean, is there really, is there any sort of backlash against other digital currencies uh, besides the Petro? The El Petro, the cryptocurrency from uh, President Maduro, doesn't exist. At one point, they had the protocol on the top of the, the, the Nanxen blockchain. But it never really went forward. And then they released a white paper that was 90% a copy of the Dash's white paper. But you cannot buy Petro anywhere. You can sell, you know, but there are billboards everywhere. You know, the president talks about it half an hour a day on on television when I was there. Uh, But again, who's going to trust a cryptocurrency who comes from the government that couldn't manage to organize the, the system before? That's that's quite interesting. <laughs> don't don't trust. Verify. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah don't trust. <laughs> and in this case, I, I did verify. And as you pointed out, I mean, it just doesn't exist at all. It's a charade. It's a complete charade. Yeah, I think I think at one point, Bitconnect had more credibility than than El Petro has. At, you know, Bitconnect had a blockchain at least, or whatever they had it. But uh, um, it's it's just there. You know, they're trying. I think it will be. Excellent if a government, you know, maybe tried to adopt a blockchain, but they were 100% open, it wasn't pre-mined. I, I don't know, you know, there's, there's tons of possibilities, especially to go around sanctions from other countries. But coming from Venezuela, nobody's going to really trust the government. And, and I forgot the last part of the question, sorry. Yeah, I just, uh, I was just curious, you know, specifically if dash with some of the success they've had certainly you know beyond the scamminess of the petro but just with the boulevard itself and just the monopoly of the government i mean do people in the dash community there which it seems is extremely vibrant do they ever feel any threats or pressured in any way from uh, the government itself because they're not you know in day to day i don't know how prevalent you know we can get to some of this but day to day it seems like if people are using dash that's something that the the monopolist government will not will not like. Well, they were very careful since the beginning. Uh, everybody behind all the projects were smart uh, people with higher education degrees, as well, and they instruct in their incubators every single business, except in Dash, to organize their books and pay tax as you know they are uh, using as some sort of a money. How they did that exactly, I'm not sure. But at any point on those lectures or, or presentations or meetup, they were criticizing the government. They were just saying, hey, this is an alternative payment system, a cryptocurrency money that you can use to receive or send. Uh, all you have to do is download the wallet, start using. Uh, at no point they pose uh, a threat to the government in a way of criticizing openly. But of course, they were very careful since the beginning. There was uh, a big crackdown on mining operations because electricity is almost free in Venezuela. 
um, pay by the government. But there was, it was more some sort of a corrupt police force that was that kind of knew what was that, and were going to places where they could detect the higher activity of uh, uh, electricity withdraw, and, and they were you know investigating people and of course confiscating their uh, their CPUs, GPUs, and ASIC miners, and asking for money in in exchange. So this actually happened quite 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 a while uh, back. I'm not sure how is it now. But uh, yes, they were always very careful in order not to create conflicts with the government. Now, you, in your documentary about Venezuela, you showed a lot about Dash's adoption within the country for, for domestic purchases or just for preserving purchasing power. But how are people, or are, are people uh, using it for uh, avoiding capital controls or moving money out of the country? Because this, this is a huge problem. I know it's a huge use case uh, for Bitcoin or crypto in general in Venezuela as well. Yeah, well, the consequence of the whole exodus of people leaving Venezuela looking and seeking for a better life and Colombia being on a actually very important position today, accepting over 2 million immigrants from Venezuela. So the Dash Colombia a community start happening as well in Medellin, not related to me or to the Dash Venezuela, and became really strong. And now they're really focused on all those migrants that are in Venezuela, in Colombia working, and they're teaching them how to actually use Dash and the money they're making in Venezuela, in Colombia and other countries, how to send it back to Venezuela to their families and also with the list of business where they can, they don't even have to exchange back to Fiat, that you can just go to department store, clothes store, supermarkets, convenience store, medical uh, exam labs and purchase goods and pay directly with Dash, closing the system and excluding banks and governments. So this is happening really fast. And that's how I ended up going to Colombia last year four times to speak on conferences, uh, all invited by the Dash community or other uh, community members and, and shot the second part, uh, the Colombia and the cryptocurrency revolution where Colombia jumped from one business accepting Dash in January 2018 to over 350 by the end of the year. I have one more, actually, before we get to Colombia, uh, about Venezuela, because, uh, you know, just to hit it home for our listeners, you know, uh, Steve Hankey, who does, you know, these weekly on-the-ground uh, hyperinflation rates, he quotes Venezuela, uh, if, if anyone did not know, it's number one in the world in hyperinflation still at 124,000 544% per year inflation rate. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. So definitely can see uh, why people are, are seeking out digital currencies and Dash for, the, for their use of day-to-day uh, -day exchange. But just one final question then on Venezuela before we get to Colombia. You focused on the Chamber of Commerce in, I think it was like the second largest city, Maracay, if I'm correct. Maracay, yes. Yeah. Was there any uh, progress on what, what what were they trying to do? And, you know, since you filmed it, are you aware, is there any progress of, of uh, the efforts that they were trying to uh, implement? Well, uh, from that community, Maracay, they actually started another, I think, four or five communities around the city. Uh, and of course, there's some challenges because the industry is not really taking off or producing any goods. But once you have the, the director and the president of industry and commerce, uh, also uh, uh, some other uh, high-level uh, directors and managers from the city 
talking about Dash and trying to protect their efforts, uh, they keep coming and presenting proposals to do more meetups and to do more instructions, uh, especially to guide people in a, in a safe and security way how to open wallets and, and downloads. But yeah, I haven't heard yet about a whole factor or industry accepting Dash because they're, they're not really producing anything. Venezuela is stagnated into, a, into an industry besides oil and a little bit of cocoa beans and coffee. Uh, they don't produce any other goods to export. Hey, everybody, just want to take a moment to tell you about our product sponsor for this episode, Crypto Tradesmith. If volatility and FOMO is just too much for you, Crypto Tradesmith will help. By signing up for Crypto Tradesmith, you'll get risk management tools and over 50,000 trading pairs to help you manage your portfolio. Price your portfolio in dollars, price it in Bitcoin, price it in Litecoin, as you wish. You'll get custom email and text alerts when a volatile point or trailing stop is triggered. You'll also get access to Dr. Richard Smith's proprietary green, yellow, red light indicators and a ton of other great tools such as Portfolio Risk Analyzer and Rebalancer. This is risk management software. This is not day trading software. It's amazing. We endorse it. And by the way, if you use it, you can manage big picture Bitcoin portfolio strategies like stop loss and buy orders completely off book. Your exchange will never know what your strategy is. So it tandems very well with managing your own keys, which you should do. So sign up right away on our special offer page, cryptovoices.com slash tradesmithoffer, cryptovoices.com slash tradesmithoffer. You'd be helping the show out, cannot endorse the product highly enough. And also check out episode 55, where we interview the founder of Trade Stops and Crypto Trade Smith, Dr. Richard Smith. Okay. Well, uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think, um, obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of aid uh, going down to Venezuela as much as, uh, as there can be, you know, from expats and, and remittances. And uh, certainly hope that uh, Dash's efforts uh, continue to, uh, you know, to help the people out there. It's, it really is incredible to see the penetration that uh, Dash has there. Uh, having said those things, I think I'd like to turn to Colombia now. Uh, one really interesting thing that I saw on the documentary there, and again, we'll link to uh, these docs in the show notes, uh, was this point of sale uh, machine, which I understand was also sponsored by the Dash uh, protocol, which is called ElectroPay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, that, that was actually my idea. It hasn't been sponsored by, by the Dash community yet. Um, I've been developing someone that was a big fan of my channel, contact me last year and say, hey, I'm a electrician, engineer, uh, uh, developer. This guy does everything, Nelson Cameda. And he's like, uh, I, do, I have some business in Brazil for parking lot systems, you know, the how to control the whole uh, in and out of parking system. He's like, how, what can we do, you know, together? Because I think Dash has a, a huge potential. So I told him there's a huge fight, a huge um, run race at the moment to create a POS solution. And in a couple of days, we designed the POS. And from there, we implement more things. And of course, it, it becomes more complicated because we realized that we needed to actually have a, a server running behind the POS. We, we ended up buying an exchange to run different protocols, also Dash. But we created one POS unit, we actually two fully working. And we went to Venezuela when I had to present a, a, a lecture over there. And we went to a couple merchants already accepting Dash, and we plug in, we show it to them, and we let them use it, and, and they saw it as a really useful solution. But the main thing is we're trying to build this 
uh, under $100. So Nelson Cameda lives in China. He has a factory there. We're finishing setting up the, the factory as we speak. Uh, uh, hopefully by two weeks, we got to start production on a, on a large scale. We'll be able to produce about 25,000 units uh, per month. We have our first clients already in Brazil and exchange who order and pay for 2,000 units uh, of this POS system. And this exchange, they already have a plan to distribute into 2,000 merchants that they're already talking with the Chamber of Commerce in their city to say, hey, we're going to implement a new payment system pretty soon using Electropay plus our exchange. So it's, it's, it's been a lot of work. I had no idea how hard it is to create and develop and design a, pro a product and implement on a, on a global scale. So yeah, I'm losing all my hair over that. Well, I mean, it's, it certainly looks interesting. Uh, but, but yeah, specifically, I mean, uh, why the, the impetus to even do the project? And um, you know, how does it work? I wanted to do something that looks nothing like a POS for a credit card machine, you know, the little brick that you type numbers and swipe your card. So I saw once a LED sign for Bitcoin. I thought it was cool. And I asked Nelson, hey, is it possible to put a printer or display? And, and he's like, his answer is always, yeah, sure, I can do that. And two, day later, two days later, it's done. So the, the guy is it's, it's fantastic as a, as a product de development. Um, so basically, it's a really cool LED sign that says dash except here with a printer and uh, an e-paper screen that generates the QR code right directly to, to your wallet. And uh, as every time you make a purchase, it actually changes to a new QR code so it does not reveal uh, your balance. And it spits out a receipt right away because believe it or not, people still want that little piece of paper in the end of the day to control uh, the cashier, you know. Once I was there, every time I went to do a purchase, people wanted to actually grab my phone and go around the counter and scan their computer. Or either the, the business owner had to come over and put the, the cell phone out of his pocket. They don't have the purchase power to buy laptops and computers and phones just to accept payments. Makes no sense. It's extremely expensive just for that. Majority of the people print a QR code and leave that exposed the whole month or during the entire time, which can be a problem because anybody, you know, sooner or later, thieves will know, you know, that they can scan that QR code and say, hey, I see you have three dashes. Pull, pull a gun and say, hey, give me your three dashes right now. So in order, thinking of all of this, uh, that's how I came up with the idea and Nelson Cameda developed this whole POS system and it's uh, almost done. You mentioned the, the volatility in Venezuela and how people there, they don't really care about volatility in crypto because they either lose almost 100% of their purchasing power or perhaps 70 or 80 and now it's, it's almost stabilized. Uh, at, at least currently the, the exchange rates of crypto are stable. But in, in Colombia, you, we don't really see the, the issue of hyperinflation. So the currency is relatively stable at the moment. So, so I have uh, my question is, is twofold. What is the overall pitch that you give to merchants so they can start accepting uh, Dash? And how do they deal with volatility then? Yeah, uh, for, for Colombia, it's a, it's a much more stable uh, country, economically speaking. Uh, also peaceful now, you know, after the, the couple of years with the, the last two presidents. Uh, but over there, there's a proposed owner called uh, George Dunley, and he's very good in a marketing uh, process because he created a speech or some sort of technique uh, 
And with his team, which is all paid in Dash because he got sponsored by Dash, you know, once he had the idea. But they go door to door, as I show in the documentary. And he's like, hey, by the way, everybody, we have a new payment system in town. It's called Dash. All you have to do is download here. I'm going to actually uh, uh, give you uh, uh, some Dash around to some people and tell them to come to your business and spend it. And if you like more customers, you don't have to pay anything. And, and they give all the instructions how to use it. So every week, they also do some airdrops, which is all controlled by the network and, and by his proposal because he has an amount of money saying, okay, everybody, we got to do a meetup on this burger place or this pizzeria. If you come over, you got to get $3, uh, $5 to buy a burger and a drink. So the person, the, the, the users experience how to receive Dash right away. And he's paying for a burger and a drink at the, at the spot with Dash. So the merchant who just started accepting Dash gets new customer. He starts getting paid in Dash from 5, 15, 20 people. depends on how big that specific meetup is. And at the same time, the Dash community already say, hey, okay, you can cash this into, uh, into pesos uh, right now. Or you can keep or you can save. So they give all the instructions. And the main question is, which merchant doesn't want new customers? And then who doesn't want you know, to go to a meetup with free lunch and learn about crypto? And it's been working extremely well. It was a pretty good strategy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I noticed that uh, on your doc. I mean, uh, just the on-the-ground uh, constant education and um, exposure that you're giving just sort of everyday people uh, in in Venezuela, in Colombia, in other places, I'm sure that the Dash community is doing down there. And, and with this message uh, to merchants that you know you can expand your customer base if you accept this currency, it's certainly something that makes sense. It works, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to I want to ask you some other questions regarding Dash in general. But before we get there, I mean. What other, maybe a couple other interesting stories to close on Colombia? Um, you know, uh, I, I saw this this Crip phone was featured in your doc. Uh, maybe just some other notable stories about merchants. What else is happening in Colombia that we should should know about? Colombia is in a better economic situation than than Venezuela today, uh, which they're not using. You know, the cryptocurrency as a way to bypass the government or or, or or the banking system, they're using as a, as a new type of payment. And basically, that's what Dash wants to be. Well, Dash wants to compete with PayPal, Apple Pay, and all those uh, payment systems. Um, I think the hardest part was going to every single store, which I did that for an entire day from 8 in the morning to about 5, 6 p.m. We visited 15 merchants, you know, and at the same time that I'm recording, I'm, I'm listening to their conversations, and we're introducing ElectroPay on the top of it to tell them to test. Uh, but most important is you have to, in a, just a matter of a minute, tell people about economics, technology, and money. And if you don't do this in a very proper, simple way for the majority of people to understand, you will lose them. If you say something about blockchain, block size, you know, cryptography, you're done. You're not going to get any merchants to accept your magic money. So I think the, the communication is key to approach and tell them, hey, it's free. You don't have to pay. It's a new payment system. It's going to bring you more customers. And this talking about a country that has more uh, stability into their economic system. And it's, it's been working well because they have a very 
productive and smart team. You know, uh, that's something that Dash managed to attract on every single kind of proposal owner that shows up asking for funds. The organic nature of it, as you mentioned, the grassroots nature of it, it's it's very interesting. Is at least from afar. Uh, to see the the connections that that Dash is making in the uh, the Latino world, Rodrigo, I want to ask you some some more general questions on Dash. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, Dash wants to compete with Venmo, PayPal. Uh, in your words, though, if someone would compare Dash with Bitcoin, uh, how would you do it? What, in your opinion, uh, is the are, are the main key differences between Dash and Bitcoin? Dash is a fort of Litecoin because of the, the, the time of mining a block to a two and a half minutes uh, average. But what I normally tell people the difference is for Bitcoin, if you want to run a node to help support the network, and if you're not a miner, you, it takes time and electricity and you know, computer skills and servers. For Dash, if you're running a node, if you're a master node, if you're part of the network, you're a large stakeholder, you do get reward to do that. And having these three layers as Dash does, you have the, the miners, they get 45% of the block reward, and then you have the master nodes on the top that gets another 45% of the block rewards for uh, doing the instant send and the private send for actually uh, locking the transactions and confirm, say, hey, this transaction will happen in one second. And 10% of the block reward go to the treasury fund which makes Dash a self-sustained cryptocurrency. And, and that, for me, was a complete ecosystem where, you know, on other projects, you depend on volunteers or company or corporations' money that, can, might, that might drive uh, the course of the project to a different direction. And one of those cases was, uh, for example, for Dash block size, once they, they decided or there were talks that they needed to increase the block size from 512 kbytes to 1 megabyte. They just present this as a proposal to the Dash master node because the master nodes also, for running a node, they, do, they, they have to actually confirm transactions uh, uh, and deal with instant send and private send. But their main job is to vote on proposals because they are the stakeholders of, of the, the decentralized autonomous organization. And their votes counts to see which proposal will be approved or not. So today, when I present a proposal, people vote on my proposal. I have no idea who they are. They give me compliments. They criticize me. But it's whoever are the master nodes around the globe. And I thought this was extremely smart way uh, to organize a cryptocurrency that makes itself sustain without outside interests. Okay, so I want to I want to follow up a couple uh, questions there because we've touched on Dash uh, a couple times on this show. I mean, our interviews with uh, Trace Mayer come to mind, Paul Stortz. I mean, there was definitely some skepticism. Well, there's always skepticism out there from Bitcoiners on other coins, uh, but it can't be denied that Dash is working on some level, and as we've talked about, it's making meaningful impacts in in certain areas of the world as money. But regarding this master node system, which I do think is interesting, it is a, a layer, a second layer of, of centralization maybe, but also of streamlining decisions. Um, I think we should still be fair and try to push back because that, if I recall, that master node vote, which was to increase the block size to two megabytes, that was maybe a couple years ago during the height of the Bitcoin scaling debate. And in reality, Dash's blocks at the time 
and probably even still, I'm not sure, weren't even close to being full, right? I mean, they were just a couple kilobytes uh, at the time. Probably even now they're not that full compared to Bitcoin's congestion. So it does seem like there's a little bit of marketing going on there on, the, on sort of the, the justification to increase it. But my question, my question, Rodrigo, is this. Uh, this this idea of this sort of decentralized autonomous organization, which, in my opinion, Dash is running relatively well compared to the DAO, you know, the Ethereum project and, and others. I mean, it's been running for a while. Uh, these votes happen, uh, I believe, every month, and and things happen. Funds get procured in Dash. What is your opinion really on the centralization of it because what we can imagine and if i recall even earlier this uh in 2018 there was a proposal to sort of fire the dash ceo or maybe the dash core team obviously we have this this group of people that are developers marketers people that are working for dash if someone says okay we want to fire people in the dash system do you think that that will happen in an orderly way? I mean, because there, there's a, there's a disconnect there. You understand the question? Yeah, there's, no, I, I got it. Yeah. yeah, there's a technical level of okay, these votes actually work. This dash can get paid out, mm-hmm. but at some point, someone's got to pull those levers. Someone has to, you know, procure these funds. How likely do you think that that will actually run smoothly in the future if things get contentious? It just happened about two to three weeks ago, and uh, uh, let me tell you. So, uh, yeah, about the marketing, uh, Dash didn't have to have a one megabyte block size, but they used that to say, hey, should we increase the block size, yes or no? So it went up for voting 24 hours. The master nodes decided. So one thing that's interesting, we have a CEO, Ryan, which is doing a great job. We also have a Bradley Zastro who worked for American Express for, I think, 17 years and left to work for Dash. As well, they're also proposal owners. So technically, myself as a proposal owner and the CEO of Dash, we're on the same level. We both have to present proposals that goes up for voting on the network. Someone that didn't like the Dash core team presented a proposal, say, hey, asking the question, should we fire the CEO, yes or no? The entire network didn't support but just recently, and happened to uh, two proposal owners from Venezuela, uh, they presented a proposal months ago, for example, asking for funds for five or six months, right? But then two, three months later, they didn't report, which is something very interesting about the Dash community as well. Today, there's also a proposal owner who is in charge of verifying where each proposal owner spends their money. So I'm accountable for the dash that I receive, and I have to tell them once a month where I spend it and how much. They just want to know that, right? To see if my expenses are actually being used, and I'm not just uh, uh, trying to, uh, you know, take money from the network and leave, which happened before. People just in the past got money and the left. They did a horrible job and they didn't horrible job. They didn't deliver. So now the Dashwatch program creates monthly report on financial activity because we have to tell which wallets we use and everybody can see everything, obviously, and say, hey, okay, for example, in my example, uh, I get money to do one event per month. I say I, I normally spend about $1,500, so they just want to know which wallet I use to pay for my tickets on, uh, 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 what do you call, um, forgot the name of the website now, um, uh, cheapair.com, they buy all my tickets there because they accept Dash. So 
two proposal owners in Venezuela who got about, I think, $20,000 a month to pay a whole bunch of people and do a whole bunch of work, they failed to report their expenses, right? So Dashwatch created a, 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 a report saying, hey, by the way, we can't communicate with those guys anymore. They haven't actually gave us the proper information where they spend the funds, and they put this report publicly. All the master nodes saw that report. They automatically went back to the Dash Central, and they downvote that those two proposals, which means they still had another month or two months that they're supposed to get a certain amount of Dash, but the proposal still stays open. So if the master nodes decide that you're not doing a good job, or the majority of them, they can downvote your proposal and you don't get the funds. And that's what happened. So if someday the core team is not doing a good job or they're not reporting where they're spending the money or they do some sort of mistake or whatever, the network, the network can replace them at any point, including me. If one day I start making videos on my channel about, I don't know, smart cash or any other fork of Dash, they'll say, hey, why are you promoting another cryptocurrency if you're getting paid to promote Dash? And they can defund me in a second. So that's actually pretty interesting. Matthew and I, when we started talking about crypto, I remember Matthew was a big proponent of Dash. And he used to say to me, well, I think I, I, think I, I missed the boat on Bitcoin. Maybe this Dash thing can take me to the moon. No so, comment. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but joking aside, uh, he was uh, really a, a, uh, one of the first people that I remember talking about Dash. And this, the, the governance model and the masternodes was something that really... <laughs> Attracted him. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely yeah. follow up there because uh, when I was looking at different currencies, obviously Bitcoin was the first currency uh, that I owned, and it's still the currency that I think has the most success. It's it's what I hold the most. It's what I bought first. But um, that seemed like it was something uh, interesting, especially in light of uh, what seemed to be like a paralyzing scaling debate. Uh, I, I've mentioned on the show plenty of times, though, I think my my own tune has actually changed there because I, I do view uh, Bitcoin's decentralization more as a feature than a bug. And as the years have gone by, uh, Bitcoin remains the coin that's going to stay decentralized. And I do I do worry looking at the way that the Dash network functions. You know, I, I don't know. I, every once in a while I check in on the forums. It seems like sometimes there's a lot of arguing yeah. Uh, which is natural, of course, but you know, no one should expect everything to just run completely smoothly. I think you've given some good answers there, but from yeah. my my side, uh, the doubts that I have with Dash do come down to who's going to pull those levers when something goes wrong. Don't think that you know the master nodes are just you know flowers, and I mean, there's some heavy criticism on every single proposal owner, including myself and including the core team. But in the end of the day, the majority of the master nodes will decide where the network will go because they are the majority of the stakeholders uh, 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 in charge, basically, of, you know, some people say about the centralization of Dash, it would happen if the master node number was decreasing. But uh, uh, throughout the years, actually, the master node number are increasing just in January. I set up seven master nodes for one investor in Brazil. Last year, over 10 masternodes, people that are actually seeing this as a source of income. You have a thousand Dash locked into a wallet and you get the block reward. 
and, and Dash model has been so successful. I think there's over 800 cryptocurrencies who copy this master node, uh, master node system uh, into their protocols as well. And Dash, I mean, you got to understand, Dash had a pretty rough start. Dash already changed the name twice. It started as a X coin and then it changed to Dark coin. And through like marketing pro research, they like, well, this name is not going to work if you want to be a you know serious crypto. And then eventually changed to a Dash Digital Cash. They had a problem with the mining algorithm in the first uh, day of mining where uh, there was tons of Dash mining, but then they released this as an airdrop and they show all their wallets where this money went. So uh, Dash had a rough start and Dash actually managed to succeed and has, has a pretty organized system today, uh, at least in my point of view. And how are the, the proposal owners like you and others uh, handling the, the exchange rate? Because since, since it's dropped like 80 or 90%, it has certainly hurt everyone's income. How are proposal owners dealing with this within the governance model? Are, are people uh, asking for raises? <laughs> Is it possible? How does it work? Uh, I think that was uh, one of the best Parts because myself, I had to take several cuts to still deliver what I promised once I present the proposal. And, and as I see, one of the most good examples, or actually if not the best example, the entire core team led by Ryan, they also decided to take pay cuts and, and lock their salary into Dash, not into US dollars in order not to take all the funds from the network because, you know, as they are popular, every time they present a proposal, it's automatically or it's voted pretty fast because all the master nodes support their, their path and their ideas. Ryan Taylor is always speaking on, on several TV channels and he comes from a Wall Street background uh, as well. So he has a good knowledge of the financial system. Uh, uh, but everybody decided on the core team to actually, you know, take a pay cut and still work. And including for me, 2018 is the year that I worked the most. And, you know, I lost 50% of my salary, if not more, since I presented my proposal. Yeah, that, that's, I think, certainly going to be a challenge for uh, a model like this going forward if the volatility uh, continues. Yeah. Another question then regarding uh, this sort of these technical upgrades and fixes to Dash. Are you able to, to answer this one? I have a question, you know, regarding sort of just some of the basics of, uh, uh, of the protocol. You know, Bitcoin had a couple bugs and SegWit was, uh, was a clever way to fix those bugs and to add scale to the network. Litecoin is a fork of Bitcoin. It had the same bugs. It also implemented SegWit before Bitcoin. Dash, as I understand, it's a fork of Litecoin, Bitcoin, maybe some others put together. Did they have similar type bugs in the protocol and they had to do a SegWit type upgrade or is it some sort of a combination of other upgrades, you know, and, and feel free to go into the evolution product. I understand that that has to do with uh, scaling Dash as well. But how does Dash compare with, with Bitcoin and Litecoin just as a, a high level, you know, some of these technical upgrades uh, that go on? Well, the major, uh, not a bug, but problem that they had was with the, the, the mining once uh, Evan opened up for people to start mining. And I think uh, over a million Dash were mined in one day. Uh, and all this is on Reddit, all this information, all the emails that went back and forward saying Evan uh, actually, um, he was able to ask the community if they wanted to relaunch the, the blockchain in the beginning that they like decided not to. And then they gave away 
those dashes, this was back in 2014, was, you know, not even uh, a huge value. Uh, so they proved into their wallets that they did tons of airdrops and, and exchanges and, and, and things like two exchanges. Evan ended up keeping a portion of the, the, the dash that he mined with his CPU computer, which is impossible to mine dash with a CPU for the past probably year and a half, two years. And he said he's not going to set up master nodes and vote because he wants to be outside uh, the network and not influence on, on where the network uh, will go uh, as well. And the biggest thing that came up a couple months ago, you know, was one news from uh, CCN.com that, you know, there was a, a mining pool with over 51% of uh, the Dash uh, mining network, which actually happened many times before, but it's a, it's a group of miners mining Dash and they had no intent of uh, doing a... Uh, um, a brute force, of course, and try to, to, to alter the blockchain. And in relations to Dash, to that, Dash already has a solution that they call the chain locks that's going to be coming now on the next update, where for you to control the network, you will have to have 51% of uh, uh, the miners plus the miner, miners' uh, capacity in the operation plus 60% of the master nodes, which is a lot of uh, numbers and Dash and money in order to uh, manipulate the network. So this is going to be implemented uh, pretty soon. And the master node, it's a platform that's going to allow, uh, the master node, sorry, the evolution is going to be a platform that's going to allow uh, uh, the creation of uh, decentralized applications uh, as well. Uh, any developer will be able to build some sort of application on the top of uh, the network. And most important, Dash is going to actually revitalize the wallets. Uh, it's going to look more like PayPal. We're going to be able to synchronize with your contacts and send the money to a person's name. I can add Fernando, I can add you, and send the money to Fernando, to Matthew. You know, uh, uh, instead of sending uh, the money to uh, some sort of a alphanumeric sequence of numbers. So that's, those changes got to look more like into PayPal. They have some pictures out already uh, on the Dash.org net network and Dash News.org uh, website as well. That looks really cool. Yeah, and I think no matter what... Uh you know, one's take on the uh, economic characteristics of money, you know, whether we go from store of value, uh, medium exchange, unit of account. Uh, this is the sort of the perennial debate in the uh, in the Bitcoin space. I think it's really uh, it's really commendable, frankly, what Dash is doing in Latin America and what you are doing there, uh, Rodrigo. You know, I, I think we're we're getting close to the end here. Uh, do you have any Closing thoughts, uh, where can our listeners, you know, find more about you? And, and uh, yeah, just curious to hear what might be in the future uh, for you and Dash. Uh, yeah, everybody, check out the documentary. Please leave your comment. Let me know what you think. The proper website that I mentioned before to know where you can spend Dash is discoverdash.com. Uh, uh, the main website for Dash to download wallets and get all the information, the documentation is dash.org. And uh, we also have uh, uh, the Dash News dot uh, org uh, for all the news and update of what's happening. As a YouTuber, I'm always going to conferences. Uh, I'm going to be speaking in Arcapulco, also at Campus Party in Brazil this week uh, as well. And if you see me in a conference, come say hi. You know, I'd love to chat and get some information, some news, a different perspective. I mean, this is a pretty new uh, environment. I think, uh, including myself, I have to learn so much still because it's, it's insane. It's like some alien technology that we have to, to see what we can do with it. There's one thing we do value here in the space, and it's I, I think it's it's the reason why we 
kind of became fascinated with it. It's it's because what I always say it's about monetary competition. I mean, this is it's the free market in money, and, and in this race, I I put virtually all my bets in Bitcoin. But it's an open game. I mean, it's we cannot say this is it, it going. To, it's the competition doesn't end with Bitcoin. What I always say is that the competition in money has been reignited with the invention of Bitcoin. Me and Trace Mayer, apparently, <laughs> are the uh, only Bitcoin, at least maximalist types, that uh, put some stock in Dash. I interviewed Trace Mayer a couple of times for my channel. Right. Yeah, he, he's definitely mentioned it many times that uh, he interviewed Evan very early on. Yeah, I'm very uh, excited to see what you guys are doing down there in Latin America. And, um, you know, hopefully the communities around the world will just continue to educate and push uh, digital cash. You definitely have a strong brand, strong name. Uh, really looking forward to seeing more of what you guys do in the future. And yeah, all the best with your conferences and travels. Uh, it's really impressive, I think, the education and the work uh, that you're doing. So one more time, where can our listeners uh, find you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, it's rambrissi, at, uh, just at rambrissi. And uh, the name of my channel is Dash Dinheiro Digital or Dash Digital Cash in Portuguese. 90% of my videos are in Portuguese, but I do have a playlist called Dash Digital Cash Interviews in English, which I interview the biggest names in crypto from Roger Ver to Trace Mayer to Fernando right. <laughs> as, as well. Yes. Uh, so uh, check it out. The interviews are, you know, extremely uh, uh, good, at least I think. Uh, but yeah, you can find all the information there. It's free of charge. And thank you very much for the invitation, guys. I really appreciate it. Excellent work, Rodrigo. Thanks a lot for coming on. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Rodrigo.